Let's pray for God's word now. Lord, thanks for your word, and thanks for guiding us by your word. And we pray that you would just have your way with us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we want to teach through the word. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 13. I will give you, as you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview for the next uh, few weeks at least. Um, today we wrap up the book of Hebrews, and, and I thought it was fitting that David talked this, uh, was here for this week to talk and share because uh, Hebrews 13 is a fairly brief uh, chapter, just kind of more bullet points than anything else. But So we wrap up that today. Next week uh, will be Christmas Eve. We'll share a Christmas message. The week after that is New Year's Eve, and um, uh, just to kind of bring clarity, uh, I think maybe there was some confusion on that, New Year's Eve Sunday morning service will be a prophecy update, and uh, Nate, uh, my son, will actually be sharing that, and uh, I'm looking forward to that, and, uh, and you know, I think in this world that we live in now especially even as as David's talking you know the, the the world where he sees it and the world from our perspective and and so often we see in uh, in just our daily lives things that the world would see as chaotic and we would see as very predictable predicted details that we see playing out, we see scripture playing out in the news. And so, uh, you know, as that kind of continues, who knows how long that'll continue? Uh, God knows, and we don't. Um, but Jesus said, you know, the end times are going to be like birth pangs, right? And you think about a woman in labor doesn't know when the baby's coming, Right? And she just knows that you know, I'm starting to get uncomfortable. Yeah, maybe that was one. Maybe that was one. You know, and as I've heard people teach over the last few years, you know, COVID, right? It was probably a birth pang. Jesus talked about one of the birth pangs would be pestilences, right? COVID's a birth pang. Maybe what's going on in Israel right now is a birth pang. We don't know. And, uh, and yet, it's probably prudent for us to do a prophecy update, Nate, We'll do a great job with that. That's New Year's Eve. And then the Sunday after that, January the 7th, uh, we're going to do sort of a state of the church uh, teaching, and we'll have a pitch in after that. So you can look forward to that for the next few weeks. Hebrews chapter 13, everybody there? All right. So uh, the book of Hebrews, as we've talked about, is that really it's the author of Hebrews is telling us that simple faith in Jesus Christ is all we need. And the Old Testament pointed to Jesus, but Jesus is not like a part of the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Actually, Jesus is better than all the aspects of Old Testament Judaism as, we, as we've seen and we've, we've read. You know, Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the prophets. The priesthood of Jesus, according to Melchizedek, remember we talked about that, was, was better than the priesthood through the line of of. Uh, Aaron and just all these aspects that he just kind of breaks it down one sort of theological piece at a time to let us know that Jesus is all we need simple faith in Jesus is all we need and then he sp speaks further to the Jewish audience the the first century Jewish Christians 
uh, in chapter 11, giving them some examples. You know, those, those folks that you highly regard in your Jewish heritage, uh, Abraham and Sarah and, you know, all of them, um, just a, a sample of them, really, uh, they live by faith. And so we think of Hebrews 11 as, as what we call the hall of faith, where, where we get these descriptions of these folks that live by faith. And then chapters 12 and 13 are sort of the, uh, the therefore, okay? And so as we've said so many times before in, in this book as well as others, we live a therefore kind of life as Christians. We don't live a uh, try to get there kind of a life as Christians. We don't live a try to make God like me more life as Christians. We don't make a, a try to try to do anything. We live a therefore life. We live a life in response to the fact that Jesus died for us, that his love is what motivates us, what drives us, what motivates everything we do, and we live therefore. It takes the pressure off, does it not? Because if I'm trying to live a life that makes God like me more or makes me worthy of something, we call that religion. It's like a religious work. It's like a man-made effort to reach some sort of state that we can never reach. And yet instead, Jesus Christ came to earth to establish a relationship with each and every one of us. And so he's the author, he's the finisher of our faith, as we read in chapter 12. And, um, and so today he just gives some more final, just sort of bullet point, sort of wrap up, if you will. And uh, these, these honestly feel, uh, if you read through them, a little bit like random bullet points, and to some extent maybe they are. But, you know, there's, it's almost like uh, he's wrapping up this book and says, oh, by the way, you know, this would be a good thing to do in response to all that God has done for you. This would be a good way to live your Christian life because of what he's done for you. And so he starts out in chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Now, as David mentioned, you know, Jesus said, uh, the world will know we're Christians by our love, right? The word Jesus used there is agape love. And you, you may know there are different Greek words for love that we translate as love. We call them all love. Like I love pizza and I love... God, right? We use the same word, but um, the word agape is the word Jesus used when he, when he describes that in John chapter 13. It's a selfless, sacrificial type of love. It's interesting, this word brotherly love is the word phileo, right? It, or it comes from the root phileo, means like a brotherly love. And I like this idea, if we think about this, if we give of ourselves sacrificially, to one another, okay? We watched, as David alluded, we watched It's Wonderful Life last night, right? If we just, you know, George Bailey, you gotta love George Bailey, right? Everybody know George Bailey? Okay, I'm not giving like a cultural content, this is not a pop culture, right? <laughs> George Bailey is not pop culture. Uh, so, so, you know, basically, he gave his life away, right, to others. He thought of himself selflessly. If we, and as a result, right, he's, quote, the richest man in town, right? If we give of ourselves to one another, if we look beyond ourselves, if we can get to where we, you know, honestly, we do a good job of taking care of ourselves. 
We do a real good job of taking care of ourselves. If we can look beyond ourselves to get inside the mind and the heart and the concerns of one another, and by the way, you guys do an awesome job of that, but I'm just encouraging us because that's where the scripture's at. If we do that, then that brotherly love, that, that fondness, it just happens, right? It just happens. So he says, you know, let that continue. Let that continue. That needs to be ongoing. He says, don't forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, the word for angels technically means messenger. So it could mean, it could be translated like an angel, like an angelic being, right, uh, that shows up on earth as, uh, as a, in a human body um, that we wouldn't otherwise recognize. It could mean that it's a messenger, right? And so, you know, don't forget to entertain strangers because some have unwittingly entertained angels or perhaps messengers. In the early church, the inns that people would travel, there were a lot of traveling. Traveling, you know, people were traveling ministers a lot, right? They, they would move. There was a very sort of migratory, uh, you know, maybe as David shared, kind of a lot of people, you know, felt like nomads in the early church. And the inns were... Um, a little bit notorious for being uh, dangerous, immoral, uh, that sort of thing. So the early church relied on one another for their hospitality, for places to stay. And so he says, you know, keep in mind that sometimes you have to get beyond your own comfort zone. Sometimes you have to, you know, if you're going to let brotherly love continue, if you're going to give of yourself to, to one another, sometimes it means you need to get, give of yourself even in your own comfort zones. Practice hospitality. Entertain maybe even strangers, and uh, you'll be blessed as a result of that. He says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. So, you know, again, many people in the early church were in prison for their faith, and the church would need to be sensitive to their needs and to reach out to them. I heard, of a, I heard of a situation recently. I, 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 get all these, I hear all these situations, and I, 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 I wish sometimes I could share with each of you or with all of you what each other of you uh, teaches me. I really do. I feel like I'm, I'm in a uniquely blessed position to be able to kind of hear all these stories. But anyway, there was a young girl uh, or a young adult, young lady, uh, recently who... The Lord got her attention because she had overheard maybe a conversation about end times and and the tribulation and all that. And what she overheard was somebody saying, well, you know, we're going to be raptured. So basically, too bad for them, but we're going to be raptured, right? We need to not have that attitude, right? And this this young young woman was burdened by that. It's like the Lord used that to get her attention. Like, you know, we need to have concern for the, the lost. We need to have concern for those that are persecuted. We need to have concern for those that are in jail or sick or whatever. And it's all those things that Jesus taught us, right? And so he just says, remember the prisoners as if chained. Another bullet point. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. So, biblical marriage is honorable. 
Okay? Not everyone's called to be married, necessarily. Paul talks about that pretty clearly in 1 Corinthians and elsewhere. But for those who are, can I just tell us this? We went through a marriage class. Uh, when did we do that? I think September, right? If you're married, live it biblically. Live it biblically. If you're married, that is an honorable thing. It needs investment. It needs to be held up. It needs to be highly valued. And I'm, while I'm on it, it's good for your health. It's good for your health. I'm sorry to, sorry to make you all suffer with me, but you know I've been reading longevity books lately, right? Even secular longevity books, right? Secular longevity books tell us marriage is good for your health, right? So marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. That's probably enough said there. Don't waste your marriage on something stupid. I just got to say that, all right? I think I probably got to say that to guys, especially. I've lived long enough to see stupid have terrible consequences. Fair enough? So, anybody want to move on? Yeah. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I love this. I love this. Let your conduct be without covetousness. But be content with what you have. Why? Because God takes care of you. God is our provider. And God takes such good care of us. And I think the secret of contentment is to just know that God takes care of us. I remember when David's dad, George, was in Kyrgyzstan. And he was very ill. And um, I was involved in that a little bit with him trying to get back here and, and all of that. And... Uh, get medical care in the States, and uh, it was very tense and very urgent. And long story short, he needed to be, uh, need, needed to be flown out of Kyrgyzstan and to come to the States for, for medical care and to try to, uh, try to get him what he needed. He ultimately, uh, he ultimately died in the hospital in Indianapolis. But... It was a crazy situation that he needed, I won't even tell you how much money, to an impossible amount of money. We'll just say it that way. Is that fair? An impossible amount of money to get out of Kyrgyzstan and into the United States to get health care, right? There's a church in Southern California, wrote a check for the, for the, for the overseas ambulance airplane, right? You can just imagine what that costs, Right? Church of California writes a check. Is it because the church in California was his provider? No, it means God was his provider, right? And I remember him laying in that hospital bed in Indianapolis 
You know, by this time, he's got family and friends around him. He's literally dying. I mean, it was touch and go. He didn't know he was going to die at that point. But I remember somewhere along in there, he's surrounded by, by people, by f family and friends, and, and just gotten flown out of, of Kyrgyzstan. Physically dying. He says, I am a very rich man. I'm a very rich man. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man or this world do to me? When we learn to be content with what the Lord has provided with us, and I'm preaching to the choir myself, right? I, I am the choir, right? You don't want to hear me sing, but I'm the choir. We all need to learn this state of contentment, this state of, you know what? I need to be responsible and diligent and all that kind of stuff, but God is my provider. And can I say this, just... The converse is also true, right? The flesh is what? Never satisfied. And I've seen this play out in life, right? If you want that cool new thing and you buy it, what happens about 12 milliseconds after you get it? You're flipping through the magazine, which you shouldn't have flipped through in the first place, right? The... I don't know, the Vacation Home Magazine, right? Right? And lo and behold, there's something cooler. And you didn't know that 12 milliseconds ago, but you learned it as soon as you got that thing, right? And then it goes on down the line, the flesh. I mean, does God want us to, does God want to take care of us? Yeah, God wants to take care of us. But if, if it's a motivation of the flesh, can I just promise you, the flesh is never satisfied. The flesh is never, ever satisfied. Verse 7, remember those who rule over you. Now we're talking. Who have, been, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. And so the, world, the word rule to, seems a little strong to me. It technically means lead, Right? You know, we have an authority structure in the church. We have an authority structure in government. We have authority structure in family and the home and, and all that kind of stuff, right? And there are leaders, right, that are called by God to lead. I believe that I'm supposed to be the leader of this church, right? I'm one of, one of the leaders in this church. And it shouldn't be weird, right? Shouldn't have to be weird. But just because somebody's got to do it. I'm not territorial about it. But it's like, if I'm that guy, I need to be that guy, right? And so as I pray for you, you guys pray for me. Is that fair? Remember, remember those that, that we're following, right? And I have people that I follow. And along the way, consider the outcome of their conduct. So, you know, being a, a 
church leader or any kind of leader is not a power trip. It's a stewardship, and it should be taken seriously by that person. Jesus Christ is the same today, as same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it's good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have, have not profited those who have been occupied with them. And so, you remember from chapter 12, we talked about last week, right? The Christian life is a distance race. He said in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run what? With endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we've talked about this. You know, there are different ways. You, you run a 50-yard dash different than you run a marathon, right? You don't sprint the marathon, Right? Maybe we do run the 50-yard dash. To say, yeah, I do them both the same way. <laughs> no. You, don't, you run them differently, right? If you're a runner. You run them differently. And the Christian life, is it a sprint or is it a marathon? It's a marathon. We want to cross the finish line, right? We want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Have you noticed in the Christian life, and I certainly have, if, if you'll bear with me on that metaphor a little bit, I feel like I'm kind of running my marathon, got a, little, got a little pace going, right? Kind of in my groove a little bit. And next thing you know, I, I've, it's kind of like the tortoise and the hare race, right? Maybe, you can kinda, maybe that's your metaphor. Next thing you know, there goes a rabbit. Vroom, right? On the spiritual Christian life metaphor of life, Right? And you know that, that thing, that, that, that divergence from just looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. I've noticed that that thing often looks more spiritual. You ever notice that? That strange new doctrine, it looks more spiritual. Or maybe it's more blessed. Or maybe it's more hip, right? Do we have di hip doctrines? Yeah, we have hip doctrines. And you know what we need to do? We need to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And if we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and if we read and live according to the Word of God, the Scripture that He gave us, that's our best defense against being distracted, right? Because those distractions can be very tempting sometimes. In this case, in the case of the, the Judaizers, they called them, the, the, the distractors that thought Jesus was was good, but he's just sort of a part of Judaism, and you need to follow Jesus and be circumcised. You need to follow Jesus and, uh, you know, keep the Sabbath, obey the Old Testament food laws and all of that kind of stuff. You know, the writer here says, you know, it's good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods that have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Don't think that if you eat a certain thing or don't eat a certain thing that you're any more spiritual, Right? That's a, what is that? That's a, that's a various and strange doctrine, right? Are you more spiritual if you're a vegetarian? No. no, thank you. Are you more spiritual if you're a carnivore? No, thank you. You know, uh, we got to be careful about these various and strange doctrines, and so the best way to avoid that 
that trap is to be established by grace, is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and to read and live according to his word. And let me just tell you this. There will be times, if we're doing that as a distance run, there will be times that we'll look around and feel like, wow, this life I'm living is just seems simple and not real flashy. You know, simple and not real flashy is also called faithful if it's done right, right? And what did Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, one of my favorite verses in the, in the Bible? He says, moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found, what, flashy, hip, cool, blessed, super spiritual, well-dressed runner? No, moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful, faithful. We are stewards of the life God has given us. David is the steward of his life. I'm the steward of my life. I'm not the steward of David's life. He's not the steward of my life, right? We are all the stewards of our little piece of what we call the body of Christ that we'll talk more about in a couple weeks. We are the stewards of our piece of the body of Christ. And in that, we must be faithful. It doesn't say successful. It doesn't say flashy. It doesn't say cool. It doesn't say funny. We are to be faithful stewards of that life that we've been called to. So, it's established by grace. We have an altar, verse 10. From, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. See, some of these Judaizers, we'll call them, thought, well, you know, yeah, that's fine. You can trust Jesus. One of the things you need to do, you still need to offer sacrifices at the, in the temple, Right? You, you, it's okay to have faith in Jesus, but you still need to, one of the things you need to do is you need to have, uh, you, you need to still do your sacrifices at the temple. And so he's kind of washing that one away a bit. He said, we've got an altar that those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So we talked about, as we were going through, remember Jesus' sacrifice was better than the Old Testament sacrifices? Well, Jesus' sacrifice himself was outside of the temple, right? So they don't have to go in and, and do any more temple sacrifices. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. And so um, uh, just another example that he's saying, you know, you don't have to do that Jewish religion. And in our day, we don't have to do religion. We don't have to do Christian expectations. I was talking to somebody earlier. And he uh, uh, said, you know, for a while we were bitter at church. Is it possible to be bitter at church? Yeah, it's possible for, to do that. Why? What? Now, that's in our own heart. Yeah, we've got we to gotta work through that, Right. But why are we tempted sometimes to be bitter at church? Because we're actually, I think, tempted to be bitter at religion, right? Religion messes with people. Religion takes the focus off of Jesus. Religion, religion makes me the leader of now a work that I've got to maneuver 
to get us all on the page that I want us to get on, right? If it's a relationship with Jesus as opposed to a religion, then I could say, Jesus died for me, I love Jesus, I want to serve Jesus, and so can I just encourage you guys to do that as well, right? That's a lot less pressure, right? But it's, it's a stewardship. And so, Judaism, after, Judaism wasn't their answer. Uh, Jesus was their answer. And religion's not our answer either. Verse 15, therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So, what's our response? Thanks. Praise God. Thanks, thanks with our lives, thanks with our words, thanks with our song, the fruit of our lips. And can I tell you also uh, what this, you know, the idea of a sacrifice of praise, we hear that phrase, right? That's, a, that's sort of a church phrase, right? The sacrifice of praise kind of implies that maybe it's a what? Sacrifice. What's a sacrifice? A sacrifice is me doing something that I maybe don't feel like doing or maybe that I don't want to do. Does that make sense? Right? Anybody play, play baseball? Right? Sacrifice fly is I'm going to get my out so the guy on third base can run into home. Right? That's what a sacrifice fly is. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give something of myself. You know, I'd love to get on first base, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take one for the team. A sacrifice is me giving of something that I may not feel like or I may not want. And so sometimes we need to give thanks when we don't feel like it. Sometimes we need to praise God when we don't feel like it. And honestly, I'm, I'm, I could be guilty of this too. Okay, so again, I'm, I'm just talking to all of us, including me. Sometimes I praise God when I feel like it. Right? And I think maybe if I could graciously encourage us, ask the Lord, am I just praising you when I feel like it? Or when I like the music? Or when it's convenient? when it fits into my other uh, priorities? Or am I praising you because that's the reasonable response, Romans chapter 12. That's the only reasonable response to all you've done for me. Therefore by him let us continually offer, continually Offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So give of yourselves. Give of yourselves to God. Give of yourselves to one another. Obey those who rule over you. He told us earlier to remember those who rule over you. Now obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who give an account, who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So, again... You know, these are awkward verses for somebody like me to read, but I'm going to read them. Uh, there's supposed to be order in the church, right? And so 
obey those who rule over you as long as uh, they're leading in the right direction. And if you want a litmus test for somebody, and you can hold this to me if you would, a litmus test is, do I point you to me or do I point you to God as a leader? I should point you to God, right? I should always point you to God, not to me. And then I love this, if I can just say this about you guys. When you guys carry out your roles as you should, let them do so with joy and not with grief. Let me, let me do my job with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you, right? I don't want to embarrass anybody, but Tracy and I ran into somebody recently and from this church. And, you know, we always run into all of you guys at various places. And uh, I forget what the conversation, how, what specifically we were talking about necessarily in that moment or whatever like that. And, and Tracy said, oh, yeah, that's, you know, she's such a nice, nice person and all that. And, I, and I, I, my comment was, you know, it's easy to pastor a church full of those kind of people, <laughs> right? And you guys make it easy. I go to pastor's conferences sometimes. You've heard me talk about this. I go to pastor's conferences sometimes and people are talking about the sheep like the sheep is an insult, right? Like sheep are stupid and you guys are the sheep and you're, you're, you ever hear these pastors talk, talk like this? You hear these pastors talk about this? You know, this stupid sheep, I gotta, I gotta whip them into shape. It's exhausting, yeah, you know, and, and, and sometimes you hear a little bit, little bit of that, Right? You guys should hear how I talk about you at pastor's conferences. I said, I said, these guys are awesome. This job is a treat. I love this job. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be involved in your guys' lives. It's a privilege to teach the word to receptive people. That's a privilege. And so I appreciate that. It says, let me do my job with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for all of us, right? <laughs> you don't want me to be frustrated up here, right? Yelling at you, right? So thank you for making it a joy and not a grief. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you sooner. So the author, again, you know, there's lots of speculation. Nobody knows really who wrote the, the book of Hebrews. Some say, some that, say, some that would say it's Paul, say this sounds a little bit like Paul. Maybe he's in prison and he's hoping to get to them soon. Um, again, that's speculation. Probably the application for us is we need to all pray for one another. He says, now may the God of peace, another great verse, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that powerful? Chew on that. Chew on that. Notice how God works in our lives as we seek him. Notice he's the God of peace. He's the God of peace. Now may the God of peace, oh, by the way, which God of peace? The one who brought up Jesus from the dead. He's powerful, right? Now may the God of peace work in your lives. God is the God of peace. As nice as I can say this, 
Peace doesn't come about by international diplomacy, right? Peace doesn't come about by the collective wisdom or diplomacy of any particular world leader or group of world leaders, no matter what they claim. Peace comes, how are all, how are all Paul's letters introduced? Peace comes by grace. Grace and peace to you. All Paul's letters, grace and peace. Because grace comes before peace. Peace comes as a result of grace, as a result of God's grace. And so, God works in our lives uh, through grace and peace, not through wisdom, political wisdom or diplomacy. And notice here, he makes us complete in every good work. Does that sound like a verse that we read a lot? Second Timothy chapter 3, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What is this? What, what, is God, what, is, what is he asking God to do? Make us complete in every good work. Working in us, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The, the sign of, again, not to belabor this verse, but the sign of God working in our lives is there at the end of that verse. He gets the glory. He gets the glory. That's how we know if God's working in our lives. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in, a few, in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. So again, some personal uh, encouragement. Uh, whoever wrote this book of Hebrews uh, thinks that these 13 chapters have been few words. I don't know if you think that they've been few words, but the author thinks they've been few words. So, may not be the same guy that wrote Philemon. I don't know. Anyway, then he goes on. Greet all those who greet you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Again, we need to be invested in each other's lives. And then I love this. Grace be with you all. Amen. What a great way to finish this book of Hebrews. Not with a Jewish rule. Not with the 11th commandment. Right? Not with, all right, now listen. I want everybody to follow Jesus and make sure you do this. How does he close this book? Grace be with you all. Amen. Not Jewish legalism, not modern day denominational legalism, just grace. And that's really the only thing that will sustain us. You know, you could try real hard to be a good Christian. Trying to sprint that marathon. Let me just encourage you. It didn't work. Try real hard to be the right person. Try real hard to be worthy of God's acceptance. Try real hard to make yourself whatever kind of Christian you're supposed to be. Or just walk in God's grace. Say, thank you, Lord. You've blessed me abundantly. You died for me. You love me. Everything you do is motivated by your love. You gave me your word, a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. 
You give me your Holy Spirit who empowers me to live according to this word. By the way, the Holy Spirit, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead to the living is the same power that lives in me, Romans chapter 8, that allows me, I mean, if that's the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, is, the, is it the power that can help me to live out this life biblically? I think so. I think that's enough. But can I do it in my own power, in my own ability, in my own exercise, in my own whatever? No. It's all by God's grace. And His grace is sufficient. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for Your goodness. We thank You that You give us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We thank You that You are worthy of our praise. And we ask, Lord, that we would walk or that we would run this, this life with endurance, looking unto You, the author and finisher of our faith, waiting for you to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Help us to be those people by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, everybody have an awesome, awesome week.